Alright, we finna do this one last time. Season 2 of Me and My Friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production. I'm your host, Miles Morales' most motor-mouthy mans, Gerald. This is a very special episode of the podcast as it's the first not covering a comic book. That's right, folks, we're running through Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. In my opinion, and I know many people share this opinion, one of the greatest comic movies of all time. Live-action, cartoon, computer-generated, whatever. I laughed, I cried, I felt seen, I felt a connection to the Spider-Man mythos as strong as that night I read that fight with the Vulture almost 30 years ago. And with the release of the sequel in theaters now, it's only right that I share that love with you. So we've got me, we've got you, we've got no further ado, we've got Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Me and the homie Miles, shouldn't meet him for a while, but Spider-Verse part two came out. Movie with clout, we oughta yap about. Look out for me and the homie Miles. The credits. The voice acting in this movie was amazing. Miles Morales was played by Shamik Moore. Peter B. Parker was Jake Johnson. Uncle Aaron was Mahershala Ali. Jefferson Davis, that's Miles' father, was Brian Tyree Henry. Aunt May was Lily Tomlin. Rio Morales, that's Miles Morales' mother, was Luna Lauren Velez. Mary Jane was Zoe Kravitz. Spider-Ham was John Mulaney. I love John Mulaney's voice. Penny Parker was Kamiko Glenn. Spider-Man Noir was one of my favorite, my favorite actors of all time, Nicolas Cage, and he killed the role. Dr. Octopus was Katherine Hahn. Wilson Fisk was Lee Schreiber. And Miles Morales Universe's Peter Parker, who I'm calling Spiance, was Chris Pine. So really not a slouch to be found on the main voice acting talent. The story development APM was Irina Caudra. The art department APMs were Catherine Couture and Cal Rapone. Spider-Man was, of course, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And as with any animated movie, especially done by big studio houses like Marvel and Sony, there are a ton of other artists, writers, special effects people, sound engineers, etc. who work on the project as well. But for brevity, I say to you all, thank you so much for crafting this masterpiece no role was possibly too small or too big. Miles Gonzalo Morales Spider-Man was created by writer Brian Michael Bendis and artist Sarah Pacelli with input by Marvel's editor-in-chief at the time, Axel Alonso, and first appeared in Ultimate Fallout number 4 on August 3rd, 2011. Almost 49 years to the day of a one Peter Benjamin Parker's first appearance. Fun fact. Miles' physical appearance is loosely based off the prolific African-American actor slash musician slash all-around cool guy, Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino. And getting into it, if you haven't noticed, I'm a sucker for a good hero's journey. From Spider-Man to Frodo Baggins to Midge Maisel, my favorite stories see a protagonist whose world is upended venturing out into the larger world to regain control over their lives and seize their own fortunes. Blame Spidey, blame my childhood, blame my nature or nurture, or any mix of the two, if you will. 
But when done right, the best hero's journey leave me feeling inspired, seen, or questioning if I, in my own life, am taking the chances and steps needed to emerge from my personal journey stronger, wiser, or more understanding of the world around me. For me, Into the Spider-Verse accomplished all three. Enough waxing philosophical. I'm going to break this thing down into the three acts of the hero's journey according to Christopher Vogler found in a great article on blog.readsy.com. Act 1, The Departure, contains four parts. Act 2, The Initiation, five parts. And Act 3, The Return, is three parts. In the Departure Act we have, Ordinary World, Call to Adventure, Refusal of the Call, Meeting the Mentor. In the Initiation Act we got, Crossing the First Threshold, Test Allies Enemies, Innermost Cave, Ordeal, Reward. And in the Return Act, The Road Back, Resurrection, Return with the Elixir. I chose this format because Enter the Spider-Verse does a great job of hitting most, if not all of these points as the story unfolds. So no more beating around the bush. We've got the players, we've got the points we need to hit, we need the play. Where are you? Here. Prologue. Before the story even begins, we get a funky opening credits where each studio that took part in the creation of the film's logos warp and morph into multiple different variations of themselves. My favorite being Columbia Pictures' woman standing with the shining torch going through several iterations. One being a cowboy woman with two six-shooters, she immediately fires. We got the iconic Marvel page flip, Sony Pictures Animation, Pascal Pictures, approved by the Comics Authority, and then cutscenes where we see screen caption boxes in funky neon colors with the creators of the film inside of them. A spider with the word Alchemax and the number 42 on its abdomen, descending a thin web line. A shot of Spider-Man, suited and booted, staring at himself in a mirror. Will look like lottery balls, one of them bearing the number 42. Yolanda Vega would be proud. And Spidey walks to the edge of a skyscraper and leaps off it back first, fearlessly, before he gives us his backstory as he web strings through the city. This Spidey's backstory is close to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man from the original Spider-Man trilogy. We see his iconic kiss with Mary Jane in an alley, only it's subverted. She's upside down, her legs hooked in a fire escape's rung as they kiss. They're in a restaurant sipping bubbly necks, and a car is hurled through the window. A nod to the scene from Spider-Man 2, tossed by Dr. Octopus. But this time, Spidey's already suited, and reacts to his spider sense by turning around and punching the car back through the window towards Octopus. No problem. Then we get a montage of him saving the city over and over before he dances down the street a la Spider-Man 3. <laughs> and he's doing the exact same moves that Tobey Maguire pulled out, hip bumping and all. It is hilarious. But this time we see Spider-Man's never owned a Venom costume because he's again in that classic red and blue. Sadly, his dance moves haven't improved. I think it's a great way to show us that this is Spider-Man, but maybe not the guy we remember because this one is popular and marketable. He's got a theme song, he's got a popsicle, and unlike the Tobey Maguire iteration, he is completely in love with being the hero. I joke about the Spider-Man wanting to be Beyonce a lot, but this Spidey's managed to create a career in both superheroing and the bright lights. Spyonce is definitely in the building, but he still has that Spidey spirit and is always willing to put himself between the people and the danger. And he says no matter how many times he's knocked down, he'll always get up. He says there's only one Spider-Man, and we're looking at him. Act 1. Ordinary World. The story opens in earnest, and we find teenage kid Miles Morales, headphones on, in his bedroom singing the song Sunflower by Sway Lee and Post Malone. 
Miles is completely obliterating the lyrics as he tagged graffiti in his notebook and completely oblivious to his parents calling him to get ready for school. His father is Jefferson Davis. He's a black American. He's a police officer. His mother is Rio Morales. She's Puerto Rican. She's a nurse. They rush him out of the house for his first day of school and he hits the block. People call out to him asking him questions, saying what's up. One kid asked if he felt the earthquake last night, but Miles says he was sleeping like a baby. So we see quickly he's pretty popular around his neighborhood. He slaps sticker tags of his graffiti, written on my name is name tags, on mailboxes and street lamps, Brooklyn kid through and through. He leaps to slap a tag on his sign overhead and trips on the shoelaces of his retro one Jordans, falling into the street right in front of his father's cop car. Jefferson tells him to get in, that he's going to make the kid take down all the stickers over the weekend, and then goes on a tirade about Spider-Man, butchering the with great power comes great responsibility line which everyone in this New York seems to know. But to give the man credit, he says, he does like his cereal. Spidey's got his own cereal! Over the course of their ride, we find out Miles doesn't want to go to the school. He says he only got in because of a lottery. But Jefferson doesn't believe it and tells Miles he's got to seize the opportunities he's given because he doesn't want Miles to end up like his Uncle Aaron. Miles, for his part, thinks Uncle Aaron is a cool guy. They get to the school, Miles gets out, Jefferson says I love you, Miles refuses to say it back, so Jefferson says it over the loudspeaker of his police car. Miles is super embarrassed, heads into school. We have these great moments where he's trying to have that same kind of back and forth that he has on his block with the people here in this school, and nobody's giving him any love. Nobody likes him at Brooklyn Visions Academy, and we get the sense by the way he's constantly racing around that he's out of his element. He arrives late to a class that's watching a woman on a projector screen talking about alternate universes and tells a joke about time being relative. So he isn't late, the class may be early. Only one person laughs, a blonde girl he sits next to who tells him she likes his joke. She says it wasn't funny, but it was smart. He takes a quiz, gets a literal zero on it, is called out for trying to get kicked out and given a personal essay to write about the kind of person he wants to be. He blows off the paper and goes to see his Uncle Aaron at the man's apartment instead. And Uncle Aaron is voiced by Mahershala Ali and I think probably my favorite voice acting in the film outside of Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. So the two have a great relationship. Clearly Miles looks up to Aaron. He tells him about his first day of school. He tells him about the blonde girl that he met. And Aaron says he can't have a nephew out in the world with no game and teaches Miles about the shoulder touch. He says if Miles likes a girl and wants to see if she likes him back, he has to walk up to her, put a hand on her shoulder and say, Hey. The two laugh easily with each other before Aaron catches a glimpse of Miles' graffiti notebook on a page with the tag of the word expectations. He asks Miles if he's found a place to throw the tag onto a wall yet and tells the kid he has a spot his father won't find. The two hit the subway. In a deserted tunnel junction, Aaron lets Miles tag to his heart's content. As you can get with this by the black sheep plays from a boombox, Miles tags both people unaware of the spider from the movie's intro, glitching like the production logos, descending a web line. It crawls the length of the tunnel and up Miles' clothes as he spray paints the wall. When Miles is done, he stands in front of his tag and Aaron spray paints around the kid's silhouette. When Miles steps away, we get a great piece of art that's taken his expectations, tagging his notebook, into the real world with a slight twist. The wall tag reads, no expectations, with Miles' outline in white and his silhouette like a shadow on the wall. The two make to leave, but Miles wants a picture of his art. He pulls out his phone to snap a picture as the 42 spider crawls down his arm. Miles spots it, but too late. The spider bites, pumping its venom into Miles' bloodstream. And we get great art here as a bunch of comic panels show the cobalt blue venom attaching to the kid's blood cells, his blood cells splitting and pumping through his system. But unlike Pete, he doesn't get a headache. The bite doesn't seem to hurt him that much. 
Miles whacks the spider and turns to follow his Uncle Aaron. He gets back to his dorm room, falls asleep, and wakes up at his alarm sounding the next morning, where he finds that he's grown at least five inches overnight. He chalks it up to puberty and heads to classes, noticing that his inner monologue, displayed in caption boxes, is louder than he remembers. And it is, they are all over the place, just popping up on the screen like unwanted ads on your computer. He is going through it, before running right into the blonde girl and having a very cringeworthy conversation with her. Apparently her name's Gwanda or Wanda, whatever, doesn't matter. He is flop sweating. He tries to do Uncle Aaron's shoulder touch, but of course his hand won't let go of Gwanda's shoulder because his spidey grip has just kicked in and the kid is nervous. Both struggle to get Miles to let go and his hand does, briefly before getting stuck to the side of her head. The girl has to get it cut out like gum in the nurse's office, leaving his handprint on the side of her skull. But Miles is nowhere near out of the woods yet. He races through the halls, smashes into the security guard who presses him for sneaking out last night, and rushes away, finding a quiet room where he can take a moment to breathe. He thought, because of course this is the security guard's office. That's just comic and cosmic timing on the big screen, baby. And we get a hilarious scene of Miles freaking out. Crawling and climbing along the walls of the security guard's office, he bumps into the guard's laptop, causing Spider-Man's version of Jingle Bells to play. He loses his shirt, his socks, his shoes in the process before he tumbles out of the window and onto the sheer wall of the school. The comedy here is top notch. The whole time he's in the office bouncing off the walls, he's shouting stop sticking to his hands and feet until he falls backwards out of the window. Now, he shouts to keep sticking. He's pelted by pigeons and makes his way to his room, but not before Gwanda or Wanda or whatever her name is, spots his frantic wall run from the ground below. In his room, Covered in feathers, a comic falls onto his face. The true life tales of Spider-Man. In it, a young kid, which I love. Apparently, Spider-Man has sold the rights to his life story, but he's changed the name. So the kid is not named Peter Parker, but he's still going through almost exactly the same issues with sticking as Miles is. Miles has one statement and one question. It can't be two Spider-Men. Can there? We move into the second part of Act 1. The Call to Adventure and get a comics cover of Miles still in his street gear, his back pressed against the sheer wall of a skyscraper, as he stares back at his reflection in the glass in shock. His reflection? Spidey, suited and booted. what they label this call to adventure? The two Spider-Men. Of course! So again, with this universe being slightly different than universes we've seen in movie, TV, and comics, Pete seems to have truly found a way to capitalize on his powers in a way 616 Pete, that's comic book main universe, and the movie spiders haven't. And it works. Why? Because if you recall, Spidey wanted to be rich and famous, my friends. In this universe, he got his wish. He has his cake, he eats it too. Spyonce is in the building in earnest. Back to the two Spider-Men. Miles calls Uncle Aaron, but the man is out of town at the moment. Miles hits the subway next, heading to the tunnel junction Uncle Aaron took him to and shines a flashlight on the spider that bit him, laying on the ground, dead. Miles tries to convince himself that the spider's normal, but it glitches again, even in death, like the opening credits. Miles follows the tunnel and comes into a control room where his spider sense starts going crazy for the first time, before he runs smack dab into Spyonce versus the Green Goblin. And this Green Goblin resembles the Ultimates Universe Green Goblin, 
who is just a hulking brute of a monster. He not only gets super strength like Norman Osborn does in the 616 universe, he also gets massive muscular muscles like Arnold, which pumps him up. His legs, his legs are kind of skimpy though. He kind of skips legs. He's not one of those, he hits the gym all chest, no legs is what I'm trying to say. And most importantly, because I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but he grows wings, so he does not need a goblin glider. He is massive. And Miles has just shown up on the scene just in time to see him grab Spiance out of the air. No problem with one hand. That's how massive this guy is. Of course, Miles tries to get out of Dodge, but finds himself in a massive silver tube, hanging off the edge of the tube for dear life as Spiance puts the work in against Green Goblin. Miles falls to certain death, but is rescued by the amazing Spiance before both of their spider senses go off simultaneously. And Spiance realizes Miles is like him. He says he thought he was the only one, that he'll train the kid, show him the ropes. Which, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, especially those early comics, you've read them, he is hated, vilified, he is alone even amongst his peers. So to find someone who's like him, who he can teach, who knows what it's like to have these powers, who he can give the game to, because he didn't have that. He lost his uncle, his aunt couldn't know about his secret. He was learning everything on his own. So to be able to share that with someone, I'm sure it was huge for Spiance in this moment. Either way, right now, he's gotta destroy the giant machine before the space-time continuum collapses. And he gets spidery, springing into action. He finds what's essentially the panel containing the off switch, but is attacked by another supervillain clad in green and purple armor. This is the Prowler, first appearance ASM number 78, and he's come to play. Spiance's tag team by this guy and the Green Goblin, both in the employ of the Kingpin. Quick spotlight, Wilson Fisk, better known as the Kingpin, despite being known and most famous for his appearances in Daredevil, made his first appearance in ASM number 50. That's the season finale of season two. You will get to see the first appearance of the Kingpin. He's a villain who, despite his abnormal strength, has gained his power in the world by being a savvy, ruthless businessman and underworld boss. He's here in a control booth, clicking a pin and humming the Spider-Man theme music. He asks Spiance if he likes his new toy. Pinned down by Green Goblin, Spiance shouts that the Kingpin doesn't realize what he's doing, that turning this machine on could destroy their universe. But of course, Kingpin turns it on anyway, and the world immediately goes screwy, glooching like the title pages as Brooklynites look on. In the control booth, a scientist lets us know that this machine opens portals to alternate dimensions and shouts that it's unstable and should be shut down. But you know Kingpin ain't listening. Spiance is forced into the middle of the colliders raised by Green Goblin and gets a glimpse of what resembles a host of alternate universes connected together like silk strands of webbing. He sees multiple spider heroes and alternate realities before the machine shut down, causing a brief blackout of NYC. So of course, after the blackout, there's a giant explosion. When the dust clears, Spiance's costume is in tatters. He is battle-ravaged Spiance right now. He's pinned beneath debris and greeted by Miles, who he tells to shut down the machine. He tells Miles never to reveal his secret and forces Miles to promise him that he'll destroy the Collider. Miles makes the promise and slinks away as Kingpin, the Prowler, and Tombstone surround Spider-Man. Sidebar. Tombstone is another Spidey villain who first made his appearance in Web of Spider-Man number 36. So Spiance's in quite possibly the worst position he's ever been in. He tells Fist that he knows what the man's trying to do, but it won't work. There, whoever they are, are gone. Fisk in a rage, slams his two massive ham-sized fists into Spiance's chest, killing him. 
He tells the Prowler to get rid of the body. Miles, watching, of course, freaked, knocks some debris over, and with an order from Kingpin to kill that guy. The Prowler is on his ass! The two race through the subway tunnels. Miles, still unable to control his powers, barely manages to escape, but he does. He makes it out of there, leaving the Prowler in the dust. We get a great joke here as a lamppost, affected by the collider, has combined multiple universes variations of lampposts, so that it's lampposts and hydrants and funky shapes and covers combined. And a guy on the street staring at it says, Yeah, I think it's a Banksy. Great action adventure movies know how to cut the tension build on scene. And this shift, this moment, though small, does the job. Miles, traumatized, doesn't head to his dorm. He races back home and stays there for the night as the city finds out about the death of Spiance, Peter Parker, 26-year-old grad student. And it is big news. We see people all over New York checking their phones as the news hits, and we see Spiance went full Hollywood. He was a blonde, he had blue eyes, and he was married to his greatest sweetheart, Mary Jane Watson, who gives a speech about his life. Refusal of the call. But in a great subversion of the hero's journey, we don't get the refusal of the call here. Over the next few scenes, we see that Miles is intent on keeping his promise. He goes to a comic shop and buys a Spidey costume from the great Stan Lee in one of his final cameos, who tells Miles he and Spidey were friends. When Miles asks if he can return the costume if it doesn't fit, Stan says the costume always fits eventually, before we get a shot of a sign that says, No returns or exchanges ever! Miles wears the costume to the public wick of Spider-Man, as MJ gives a speech that ends with her saying, We are all Spider-Man, and we're all counting on you. Dude, Miles repeats this, and a guy next to him again breaks the tension. He says, Probably not you specifically. I think it's a metaphor. So another great moment. Miles, sloppily suited and booted in his Spidey costume, decides to begin his training. We see him racing up the stairs of a tall building to its roof as the snow falls. He stares determined at the gap between buildings. We get his eyes narrowed before he races back down the stairs and up the stairs of a shorter building. The kid wants to start smaller. No, no need, no need to jump off the highest building in the city because I got these powers. I just got these powers. So he's on this shorter building now and he races towards the edge of the building with that same determination, trips over his ones again and falls off of the building to the earth, smashing, smashing into a yellow cab before falling to the curb, shattering the override key Spiance gave him. Big fail is an understatement. Not knowing what to do next, he visits Peter Parker's gravestone, which is covered with flowers, pictures of Spidey, notes to him about how he saved the person who wrote the note's life, etc. Be loved. And I think it's also to note, he's buried in that same cemetery that Ben Parker is buried in. Gives me great comfort to know that Peter Parker is buried next to Ben Parker. But anyways, not knowing what to do next, Miles visits Peter Parker's gravestone and is accosted by a stranger in a trench coat who he zaps with a new power, his Venom Touch. So when Miles focuses his energy, he can zap people with essentially electric shock him. He can electric shock him. Not sure why they call it a Venom Touch, but what are you gonna do? I'm letting go, I'm coming on. It's comic books. It's comic book movies. Meeting the mentor. Miles knocks the man unconscious with his zap and finds out this is Peter B. Parker, a Spider-Man from an alternate dimension who's had what can only be described as a shitty, shitty run as Spidey for the last 22 years. He saved the city, got married, saved the city some more, maybe too much, his marriage got testy, he made some dicey money choices, 15 years passed, he broke his back, a drone flew in his face, Aunt May died, and he separated from his wife Mary Jane. He says he handled things like a champion as we watch him move into a one-bedroom apartment. 
Then, sitting in a tub with his Spidey costume on as the shower rains water down onto him. So you know he was lying! He says MJ wanted kids, but the idea scared him. So MJ wanted to move forward with their lives, right? She wanted children. Not an unreasonable want for a married couple, one partner, or maybe both of them if you're lucky, usually wants kids. But Pete was not having it. And this, I'm gonna call this guy PDB. This is Peter Benjamin Parker. PDB. And his whole story is gold. Pure Spidey joking through the chaos before we see how he arrived in Miles' universe. Laying on his bed in his costume, shirt off, right? He's got his costume boots on, he's got his costume pants on, but his shirt is off. He's eating pizza, a portal made up of Kirby dots opened above his head and sucked him in. And if you're wondering what a Kirby dot is, Jack Kirby, greatest, greatest comics artist of all time, he drew these things whenever there was like a death beam or energy blast or anything like that, he would use these dots, sometimes different colors. A lot of the times from my understanding of it, they were like small, like they were just different sized black dots that when he like clumped them together, it made this beautiful kind of cosmic imprint on your mind that it was just energy being blasted. And these are called Kirby dots. And Kirby dots are all through this movie. Please take a moment, Google Kirby dots. You'll see them in everything, everything. They are all over the comic book universes. He worked at DC, he worked at Marvel, so they are everywhere. You cannot miss them, especially Galactus Hands, Fantastic Four. Not surprising, Jack Kirby worked on Fantastic Four for a while. And Silver Surfer comic books when he's shooting cosmic rays, right? Those little black dots that are kind of clumped around the energy, those are Kirby dots. And we see Kirby dots all throughout this movie. So, PDB is here, he's laying on his bed, he's eating pizza, he's super depressed, and Kirby dots open above his head, and he gets sucked into a portal, transporting him to Miles' universe during the brief blackout, where he ping-ponged off the streets and into Times Square, smashing into a Titantron, just in time to see the death of Spiante, his own death. He says he has a feeling that the thing that brought him here is the thing that got Spiance killed. We're back in a graveyard now, he's unconscious where we left him, and we get a hilarious chase scene between Miles and the PDNY. Miles carrying slash dragging PDB's unconscious body through New York on a web line from PDB's wrist. When PDB comes to, Miles has him strapped up to Uncle Aaron's punching bag, talking in a deep voice. Who are you? What are you doing here? And Miles showing his astuteness, Guesses exactly how PDB got here. It probably was interdimensional travel using quantum theory. PDB is impressed. He says, wow, like you just guessed that? That's pretty good. So, Miles not a slouch. Big brain, big brain in the kid from BK. So, PDB breaks free of the punching bag, giving Miles his first lesson in superherodom. Don't watch the mouth, watch the hands. But PDB's glitching out, much like the opening credits in the 42 Spider. Here, Miles refuses to answer the call, convincing PDB to take the override key which PDB calls a goober from him. Goober being shorthand for a bypass key, an override key, a saving the world key, PDB can never remember, so he always calls it a goober. And PDB wants nothing to do with Miles. He says he's got his own problems in his own universe, but Miles plays a sympathy card and gets Petey to help. Petey says to fix the broken goober, he's gonna have to break into Alchemex and make a new key. He says they don't have a second to lose, but of course makes time to pig out on a burger and fries at a burger joint. Probably the Silver Spoon on Madison Avenue. While he eats, he tells Miles to look up Alchemax's base and the two head by bus to keep their legs fresh towards Hudson Valley, New York. When they get there, they get suited and booted, Miles trying hilariously to add a cape to the Spider-Man costume, but PDB's not having it. Spider-Man doesn't wear a cape. Damn straight. They go over the plan. Well, 
PDB goes over the plan. One, infiltrate the lab. Two, find the head scientist's computer. We get a shot of Spidey B, suited and booted, looking over the shoulder of a man as a woman walks by with her bicycle and a hilarious moment because Miles points out that the head scientist is the woman with the bicycle he saw in the video when he was late to class, forcing step three to be PDB re-examining his personal biases. Step four, he hacks the computer. Step five, he downloads the important stuff. And step six, always making time for fueling up, he grabs a bagel from the cafeteria and runs. When Miles asks what he's doing, PDB tells him step seven, very important, staying where he is being lookout, and web swings away. Miles doesn't want to stay put. Frustrated, he bangs a rock, asking how he got this Spider-Man as a mentor. And, new power alert, he's got super strength. He cracked that rock in half, no problem with just a little jab. Super strength is on the table now. So Miles is trying to stay put, but when the black car pulls up and Kingpin steps out, he finds PDB in the vents, and Miles tells him he won't let Spider-Man die without doing anything for a second time, creating their first real bonding moment. PDB says he's used to people trying to kill him, not concerned about his welfare, and thinks Miles is refreshing. Meanwhile, the female scientist tells the Kingpin that a black hole could open beneath Brooklyn. PDB guesses rightly that the Kingpin won't care, and will tell the scientist she has 24 hours, a split second before Kingpin says, you have 24 hours. The two enter the scientist's office. Miles gets stuck to the ceiling, again, out of control of his powers. PDB asks him what the kid does to relax. Miles thinks about it, starts seeing Sunflower. Off key, and the more he sings, each finger releases its grip on the ceiling lamp before he crashes to the floor. And we get another new power alert. This kid is stacked. This time, invisibility. Eat your heart out, Sue Storm. So if you're paying attention, on top of all the powers that Spider-Man has, his spider sense, the strength, the speed, the agility, the ability to tell quips nonstop when his life is on the line, Miles has a venom touch. Miles has invisibility. He's already two up on the grate. Doesn't really matter though, the kid can't control it, so, so two up might as well be two down, right? Either way, he's just turned invisible and the job ain't done. PDB tells Miles to remember a 27 digit passcode, namely, Kettle D-G-F-A-M-P-E-S-A-N-D four dollar sign three five eight seven six five three four five four five three five and download the schematic. Why? Because the scientist has just entered the room. While Miles tries to download the schematics, PDB introduces himself to the scientist, who straps him into a chair, surprised that a Spider-Man is here. Miles is unable to remember the last two digits, PDB tells him in a roundabout way, and that was a 27-digit passcode. Miles remembered 25 digits. Again, hinting at his intelligence. So Miles is in now, he's trying to find a schematic to download, but the desktop is a mess. There are just files on files, literally, files on top of files, folders, sitting on top of folders at those, you know, you know what's one of the most annoying things in life to me? And it doesn't, it doesn't have to bother everyone, but I'm telling you it bothers me. When somebody has like files on their desktop and they have like one file slightly covering another one so you can't see the name of the bottom one, Oh my God, that's what's happening here. This person is sloppy with their desktop. So, Miles steals the whole CPU. While Miles, still invisible, slinks out with the CPU, the scientist tells PDB he's experiencing cellular decay and she can't wait to watch him decompose. What? Of course this prompts PDB to ask her what her name is. Her name? Dr. Olivia Octavius. 008 is in the building. She puts her wild hair up into a bun as her arms, made of some sort of plastic polymer material in this universe, snake out from behind her, one of them gripping PDB around the throat. He shouts at Miles to run as he and Doc Ock do battle. 
Miles books it racing down the corridor, still invisible, and crashes into Gwander or Wanda, whatever her name is, who's in a lab coat and glasses. What is she doing here? Miles and PDB reconnect in the Alchemex cafeteria and PDB takes a bagel. So they're on step six of PDB's plan now. They're almost done. The two try to move through the cafeteria unnoticed, but of course are spotted by the Alchemex scientists who all pull out advanced handguns, laser guns, one of them shouting that Spider-Man took a bagel, thief. PDB tells Miles it's time for them to do a switchy switchy, snatching the CPU from Miles and handing him a bagel, which Miles tosses at an Alchemex scientist. I love this scene. Jody pointed it out to me. Shout out to Jody V. I love this scene because as the bagel hits the man, who will have a great importance later on, we don't get a thud or a thwack as it connects with his forehead. The bagel bounces off the man's head and the sound effect we get is BAGEL! <laughs> Love it! Racing towards the edge of the Alchemex building, PDB hands Miles a web shooter and tosses the kid from the building, shouting that the best way to learn is under intense, life-threatening pressure. Of course, Miles can't swing it and crashes into the snowy forest, Doc Ock and Alchemex on his heels. He refuses to use the web shooter, but PDB tells him, you are going to die if you run. If you run, they will catch you. You need to swing away. Ock chases Miles up a tree where he leaps off, arms wide, in a backflip, and fires the web shooter, snagging a tree with its webbing. He catches up with PDB, who tells him how the greatest invention in superhero history works. You double tap to release and whip it out again. Miles and PDB each grab an end of the CPU, and they... Whip and release. Whip and release together. Miles telling PDB he's amazing. PDB goes full on monologue saying they're a little team. He as the teacher who can still do it. Miles is the student who can do it, just not as good. Until PDB glitches again at the worst possible moment and crashes into a tree limb. Miles right behind him, barely grabbing the CPU's core to stop it from falling into the ground. But the core gives way and the CPU plummets and is grabbed by Doc Ock. Before the branch gives way and both apprentice and teacher race towards the ground head first. Before they crash into their deaths, however, they're webbed up by an unseen force that's moving like a blur. Doc Ock spots said blur with a smile on her face and we see it's the one and only Spider-Woman, aka Ghost Spider, and she's come to play. She webs Ox R2, L2, L1, R1 to a tree branch in no time, knocks the woman out with a swift kick across the jaw and pulls the CPU to her with a web line before walking up on Miles and PDB who are still tangled up in her life-saving web lines. For the record, Ghost Spider has one of the best Spidey costumes in the game. Big buggy standard Spider-Man eyes, white mask, there is pink lining her Spider-Man eyes, white upper costume, black lower, turquoise ballerina slippers, and a hood lined with pink and turquoise spider webbing. She stands staring at the two bunglers with the CPU under her arm before pulling off her mask to reveal blonde hair, one side of her head shaved, because a certain someone got his hand stuck to the side of her head. Seeing her face, Mao says in shock, Gwanda? She says, actually, my name's Gwen. Ladies and gentlemen, Spider-Gwen is in the building. She says she's from another dimension. He tells us we're going to start at the dimension. beginning one last time. An issue of Spider-Gwen falling on top of the origin story comics we've gotten three times before. Her name's Gwen Stacy. Bitten by a radioactive spider, she's been Spider-Woman for the last two years. She joined a band, saved her dad's life from a bullet intended for him, but couldn't save her best friend Peter Parker. Her universe is equivalent to a one Dr. C.K. Connors, the lizard. She says she couldn't save him, so she decided to save everyone else. He is her Uncle Ben moment. She goes on to say that she doesn't do friends anymore. 
She was sucked into the Spider-Verse during a battle with her universe's Doc Ock, and we get a great moment of just how badass she is. Repeater B came into the universe ungracefully smashing into the streets, then a Titantron during the blackout. She comes through her portal and grabs a lamppost, flips around it multiple times, tucks and rolls onto the rooftop of a building, and skids to a stop on said rooftop on her bum in Times Square in front of an image of Chance the Rapper on a giant neon jumbotron. She says she arrived a week ago. So we know now that Spiante's rumble with Kingpin and company wasn't the first time they turned the machine on. She says her spider sense guided her to Visions Academy, but she wasn't sure why until she met Miles. Miles says he likes her haircut. She says he doesn't get to like her haircut. Back at Alchemex, we see the machination behind Kingpin's desire to turn on that collider. In a flashback, we see him battling Spiance, and he's got the upper hand. In his swanky home, the two are doing battle until he has Spider-Man gripped around the throat and is about to end the wall crawler's life with a ham-fisted punch through the head, I'm sure. But a moment before he's going to finish Spiance, his wife Vanessa and son Richard come in. Appalled by what she sees, she takes their son and drives off into the night where she crashes into a truck. Both die instantly. Back in the present, Kingpin asks Doc Ock why Spider-Man is still alive when he's killed him. She explains that her collider works and that Kingpin will get what he wants, his family back, as many families as he wants. Kingpin tells her to meet him at his collider tomorrow night. She says, our collider. Meanwhile, the trio of spiders ride back to the city, Gwen telling Miles she knows where they can make a new goober, and the two bond as PDB pretends to be asleep in the back seat. Miles tells her that if she ever wants to do friends again, he's got a slot open. Gwen says she'll keep him posted. This is an amazing part to the movie. We get Miles learning one of his greatest powers in invisibility. We get great comic relief in PDB who guides us through this section. The machinations of this universe's kingpin. And we get to see Spider-Gwen steal the show as she bursts onto the scene and saves the day. We also get more foreshadowing for the future as the guy who gets hit with the bagel will go on to be a major player in the future Spider-Verse movies. Test allies enemies. The trio, CPU in hand, Head to the one place Gwen knows they can make another goober. The Peter Parker of Miles' universe's home. Spiance's home. That's right, we're at Forest Hills, Queens in the home of May Parker. Peter may have a moment where she calls him older and <clears throat> thicker, for lack of a better word, and comments on the fact that the man is wearing sweatpants. She already knows PDB's from another dimension. When Miles asks if there's a place they can get another goober, she tells the trio to follow her walks through her house, and kicks her own screen door to the backyard open. Why did she destroy her own screen door? She kicked that thing open like she was breaking into somewhere. You own the house, lady. The backyard is yours. Either way, she leads the group to a shed. PDB says he has one of these where he keeps his gadgets, but when May turns the key on the lock, a small red spider symbol appears on the lock before a huge spider symbol lights up the door to blinding light. PDB calls the shed pretentious, and before we meet Miles' future allies, we get an approach to the innermost cave. This shed turns out to be this universe's spider cave, a huge underground bunker with weapons, gadgets, costumes, etc. Spiance was not slacking on the inventor part of his life. When Miles asks PDB if he has a place like this, PDB says yeah, but take away the jeep, the plane, imagine it way smaller, and to imagine a futon. He says he feels sad for this guy, but I'm sure he means jealous as he picks up a picture of MJ and smiles. Miles points out, looking at the costume collection, that Spiance has a costume with a cape, and walking over to the classic Spider-Man costume in red and blue, sees his reflection in a glass, about a foot smaller than Spidey. A symbolic moment where we get, in my opinion, Miles' greatest fear now, not being able to measure up to what it means 
to be Spider-Man. The kid doesn't want any expectations, remember? And now he's got the fate of the world and maybe the universe on his shoulders. He says they're going to be outnumbered. But May asks if the trio were the only ones who thought to come to her place and we meet three more Spidey heroes. Spider-Man Noir, who appears in only black and white, went from who knows where whipping his signature trench coat behind him. He says, wherever he goes, the wind follows and the wind, it smells like rain. <laughs> he says in his universe, it's 1933. He's a private eye who likes to drink egg creams and fight Nazis. A lot. I got no problems with that. Sometimes he says he lets matches burn down to his fingertips to feel something, anything. He's so ultra serious and emo, everything he says is comic relief. We meet the Japanese Penny Parker. She's from New York in the year 3145. She's got a psychic link with a spider who lives in a giant robot her father built. The kid's got spider powers and a Gundam suit. And we got Peter Porker. A photographer for the Daily Beagle. A he says he frolics and pig. he dances and he does this with his pants. This being wiggling his butt, of course. In short, the trio has just become a sextet. PDB asks how they got here. Spidey Noir says it's kind of a long story. And we see they came during the blackout as well and all smashed into the Titantron. Gwen is the only one who arrived with any grace. And Spidey Noir says the story may not be that long, actually. They know they've got to get home and the only way is through the collider. The caveat is one of them has to stay behind to destroy the thing. Without a hesitation, Gwen, Penny, Spidey Noir, and Spider-Ham all say they'll do it. This is another moment that shows the hero Spider-Man is at their core. No matter what universe, no matter what time, each of them, each of them is willing to put themselves between the people and the danger without a second thought. None of them even thought about it. They all said, I'll do it at the same exact time. But they all glitch out. His mouth says, he's going to be the guy to turn off the machine because if any of them stay, they're going to die. He made a promise to Spider-Man and he has to keep it. Spidey Noir asks who Miles is. And PDB's like, the kid's got powers. He can turn invisible. He has a zappy power thing. But Miles can't do either on command. But PDB believes in him. Gwen too, to an extent. Spidey Noir isn't buying it though, and the group lay it on Miles. Noir asks if Miles can fight off the goons Kingpin can send after him before sweeping Miles' legs from under him. Surprise attack! Penny asks if Miles can rewire a mainframe while being shot at and shouts for him to show her tossing an electronic device at Miles. Spidey Noir shouts surprise attack again and jabs the kid in the face. Gwen asks if he can swing and flip with the grace of a trained dancer. Spidey Noir asks if he can close off his feelings so he isn't crippled by the moral ambiguity of his violent actions. May ask if he can help her create a dating profile so she can get out of the house every once in a while. Spider-Man floating towards a scent from who knows where. Ask if Miles can do that when he smells a delicious pie. They pour it on. Can he be ruthless? Can he be strong? Can he be disciplined? Can he be psychic? And above all else, no matter how many times he gets hit, can he get back up before they start jumping the kid, knocking him to the floor, all of them shouting for him to get up. But Miles doesn't get up in that moment. The group all walk away from him. They huddle up, all of them trying to convince PDB that Miles isn't ready. Miles, hearing enough, boards the lift to leave this innermost cave, his invisibility kicking in outside of his control. He walks down the streets of Queens, checking the voicemails from his father, who is worried sick about him. Miles has been gone at least a day now. We see Rio and Jeff in his squad car calling Aaron, asking his brother to call him if he hears from Miles. Meanwhile, 
Miles goes to Aaron's place, leaving his uncle a note about how he has to do something but isn't sure he can do it, that he's scared and doesn't want to let anyone down before the Prowler comes into the apartment through the fire escape. Miles pulls his mask down and turns invisible out of fear. As the Prowler tells the Kingpin he's got the footage from the chase, that if the kid's still out there, he'll find him. He pulls his mask off to reveal that he is Uncle Aaron. Miles sees this and loses his shit. He breaks for the fire escape and we get another great chase scene through alleys, front street, Prowler on his bike, Miles hopping on yellow cabs and trucks. Miles escapes this time as well in a great scene where he has to backflip above a yellow taxi, through a bus, arms above his head, probably full of fear. Still not fearless with his agility yet, but it's an agility on best ever moment to be sure. He makes it through that small space, but before he can land, the Prowler slams his bike into the truck, causing it to smash into Miles who hits the ground, rolls, hops up, and keeps boogieing. So Miles escapes this time as well, but we see Prowler, his motorcycle destroyed in a chase, watching the still unknown kid, from his perspective, run from a nearby rooftop. We get a scene shift and see Penny create a new goober while the others wait in May's living room. Spider-Man Noir hilariously trying to solve a Rubik's Cube and struggling mightily with color recognition. PDB and Gwen discuss Miles again. PDB saying he knows Miles. The kid is going to burst through the door, recharge, and ready to go. And he's right! Kind of. Miles does come bursting through the door in a panic, shouting that his uncle's the prowler. He's working for the kingpin, and he tried to kill him. Everyone is shocked except Spider-Man Noir, who says this is a pretty hardcore origin story. Gwen asks the important question, was Miles followed? He says he doesn't think so before all six of their spider senses go off at once. There's a rattle at the door, then the bell is rung, then Doc Ock bursts onto the scene. PDB tells Miles to get out of there, but when Miles tries to head through the kitchen, Tombstone blocks off his exit, accompanied by Miles' universe version of the Scorpion, a man who literally has six legs, a scorpion claw, a bald head, and only talks in Spanish. May tells them to take it outside. Spidey Noir says, we don't pick the ballroom, we just dance. Doc Ock tries to go for the goober on a chain around Petey's neck now, and we got action. All the spiders start getting it shaken, and the living room is getting destroyed by Doc Ock. She's breaking windows, she's breaking vases, Spider-Ham breaks a plate over his head for no reason at all. The whole time, the goober is flying around the room. At the spiders fight, Miles get couch cushions stuck to his hands, still unable to control his powers. May, proving she ain't soft, Wax Tombstone through the front door with a Louisville slugger from who knows where, shouting that she told them to take it outside. Put some respect on May's living room. Miles grabs the goober just as his spidey sense goes off because now the prowler's on scene. Miles' invisibility starts coming and going as he has a panic attack on the spot staring at the prowler. But PDB's got his back. He puts himself between the prowler and Miles. But seeing the kid freeze up during the danger, he comes to a realization. The other spiders were right. In a room full of heroes, Miles just isn't. And being here puts everyone at risk. He's a liability and is going to get one of them killed. PDB performs a slingshot kick that sends the prowler through the front wall of the house and looks at Miles still frozen. In the most serious and saddest line he's uttered so far, he says simply, You gotta go, man. We get a cut to Miles' father Jefferson in a squad car receiving a call about the fight. He hits his sirens and heads towards the action. And the action 
intensifies with the fight drawing every spider hero outside, leaving Miles alone with the Prowler who chases him around the house demanding to give him the goober. Miles fights back reluctantly when he can, but the two wind up on the roof of May's house, the Prowler gripping his throat, his clawed hand raised for the kill shot. Miles pulls up his mask to show the man that he's family, and the Prowler hesitates. He pulls off his own mask. He says, no, 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 no. Then pulls Miles back onto the ledge of the roof, lowering Miles' mask back over his face. Kingpin, watching from a parked car, asks what the Prowler's waiting for through a comm link. Like, I pay you to kill these people when you got the chance. You got the chance. But raising his hands, Aaron backs away from his nephew with a look on his face that says he would never. But Kingpin isn't waiting. He guns the man down in cold blood with a shot through the back before PDB kicks the Kingpin in the back, shouting at Miles again to leave. Miles grabs his uncle and web swings away, his feet grazing the roof of his father's car, who's arriving on the scene. In an alley, he lays the dying Aaron on the ground, who, removing his hand from his prowler's claw, takes Miles' hand and tells Miles he wanted the kid to look up to him, but he let him down. He says Miles is the best of them and urges the kid to keep going before dying. A moment later, Miles' father is on the scene, gun drawn, telling the kid to put his hands up. Miles does, turns invisible, gets ghost, leaving his father with Aaron's dead body. Jefferson spots his brother and immediately puts out an APB on the new Spider-Man. And where's the new Spider-Man? Well, he's not a Spider-Man yet, but Miles is back in his dorm room and he's tearing it to pieces before his sketchbook falls open and he sees his expectations tag in his notebook. Surely thinking of Aaron, he tosses the book out of the window before it's tossed back into him and the other spiders come through his window each telling him who they lost. PDB and Spidey Noir lost their Uncle Ben's. Penny lost her father, Gwen, her best friend. Spider-Ham tells Miles the hardest part about their job, they can't always save everybody. Miles says they won't understand, but Gwen tells him that there's nobody who understands more than them. Before Gonki walks into the room, his roommate, they freak the kid out of course. He faints, and Miles gets the kid settled before he and Pete have a heart-to-heart. PDB tells Miles he's going to be the one to stay behind to shut down the collider. When Miles says PDB has to convince the other spiders he's ready, PDB says it wasn't their idea, it was his. He asks for the goober, telling Miles he doesn't want to have to take it from him. But Miles wants it now. He says he has to make the kingpin pay, that they have to let him make the kingpin pay. But PDB says he's not ready and proves it by sweeping Miles' legs and grabbing the kid by the shirt, leaping to the ceiling at the same time. He tells Miles to Venom Strike him right now if he's ready, to turn invisible so he can get past him. We see the other Spideys are just outside of the window listening. PDB says he knows Miles wants it, but he doesn't have it yet, and webs the kid to his chair before taking the goober. Miles asks when will he know he's ready. PDB says he won't, that it's a leap of faith. That's all it is, a leap of faith. Alone in the room, Miles struggles against the chair before his father comes to the door and gives him a speech. He tells Miles he pushes him because he sees a spark in him. That's why, that he knows whatever Miles wants to do, he'll be great at it. He tells Miles he loves him and leaves. Miles, staring at himself in the mirror, gets a crackle of energy in his eyes before it runs down his body and he venom blasts his way out of his restraints, sending webbing flying around the room. A moment later, Gonki wakes up to an empty room and looks around before deciding that that's enough stress for one day and goes back to sleep. But the room wasn't empty. Miles was invisible, on command. He materializes in front of us, heading towards the window, a determined gleam in his eyes as What's Up Danger by Blackway and Black Caviar begins to play in the background. As a thunderstorm rages throughout New York City, we get little vignettes. Miles in his red hoodie, green jacket, 
looking out at NYC, then back at Spiance's lair, the innermost cave if you're keeping track, where he finds Aunt May sipping tea, who says it took him long enough. He's on a rooftop staring down, breathing heavy. In the subway next, a Q train rushing into the station as he stands with his hands in his pockets. Exiting the subway, lightning flashing above the city, Miles opening the door to a rooftop as Jefferson's voice says he knows Miles will do great things. Miles in the innermost cave, staring up at the original Spidey costume again. This time though, the angle is shifted. He's still staring up at it, but now his face is filling the mask as Rio's voice says their family doesn't run from things. Uncle Aaron's voice says he's the best of all of them. He's on his way. We see his hand shake a spray can before letting the black paint wash over the Spider-Man costume's chest and legs. Miles is back on the rooftop and we see he's wearing the costume beneath his hoodie and jacket. He sits crouched on the glass sheer wall of this building now, staring down at the city. His own voice is in his head now, asking when will he know he's Spider-Man before he pulls his mask down, covering his face. PB's voice says you won't, that it's a leap of faith. That's all it is, a leap of faith. Before Miles leaps from the building. This is my favorite moment in film ever, ever. Because as Miles leaps, the glass around his hands shatters, raining down onto the street below. It is a quintessential Spider-Man moment for me. Miles is still afraid to let go. So afraid that his hands refuse to release their stick on the glass completely. But the body goes where the mind follows. And Miles has decided that fear won't be the reason he's frozen anymore. Every time I see this scene, every time I talk about it, every time I think about it, I tear up. The very first time I saw it, it, it made me cry straight up. How often, how often are we pushing through our fears? How often are we refusing to let the idea of failure stop us? If you're a Spider-Man, the answer to both those questions is always, if you're a person in this world, it's been my experience that the answer for a lot of us, most of us, is not enough. And this moment here, these reminders in Spidey comics, they're always in Spidey comics. That, like, you don't give up. You push through the fear. Yeah, you're afraid. You do it. You do that shit. You, you push through it anyway. Because the other side of the fear, that's where the growth is. This side of the fear, there's nothing here. There's nothing here, right? So when will Miles know that he's ready? You won't. It's a leap of faith. And he took that leap of faith and he still wasn't fully ready. But where the mind goes, the body follows. So every time I think about it, it's just... Anyway, it just, it's just really powerful for me. So the kids arrived. He backflipped from the building, arms wide towards the ground below. And we get the most beautiful shot in this completely beautiful movie. Miles, hands at his side, racing towards the ground. But as he falls, the camera's positioned so that it looks like he's flying. The kid is ascending as he descends. It's, they are going crazy. Miles tumbles end over end towards the ground before a cutscene shows us that May made him a pair of web shooters that fit perfectly. His back towards Earth, the wind whipping around him, he sprays lines from both wrists towards the building he's just leapt off from, and we see it was one world trade. This kid went to the highest point in the city, the highest point on the eastern seaboard, and leapt off. A moment before he hits the ground, the webbing connects, and we enter the ordeal. What's up, danger indeed? Through a mix of street running, rooftop running, sheer wall running, and webbing, Miles reaches the edges of Manhattan, stopping on a rooftop where he stares across the East River because of Brooklyn. Meanwhile, the, the spiders River. have all opted to take the bus to the collider, but web swing to the building when they get close. The same building Miles has just landed on, owned by the Kingpin. The kid beat them there. Kingpin's holding a gala in Spider Man's honor to the shock of the other spiders. 
Gwen calls Kingpin a pig. Of course, Spider-Ham, a pig, takes offense. Trying to decide how to enter, they realize all the waiters are wearing Spider-Man costumes. They say it can't be this easy, before a moment later making it look that easy as they waltz in in their Spider-Man gear pretending to be waiters. PDB has a hilarious moment with Mary Jane, apologizing to her for not bringing her bread, saying she deserves all the bread in the world, before Gwen drags him away. Beneath the gala event, Kingpin and Doc Ock turn the collider on with a strand of Vanessa Fisk hair just as the spiders enter the collider. And the city goes funky again. Lampposts, street signs, the Brooklyn Bridge, all glitching. Back in the collider, Gwen tells P he doesn't have to do it. She'll stay behind. But you know PDB. Closest there is to 616 Spidey. He is not having it. He says he's made up his mind. It's him between the people and the danger. He web swings forward. The rest follow. They land on the collider together, scaling the ceiling. PDB in the lead. The plan? He's going to put the goober in and take over the beam. After he sends them all back to their individual universes, he's going to blow it up. He wishes them all luck. They find the compartment for the goober, but of course, as PDB tries to insert it, his hand is grabbed by a Doc Ock tentacle. At the same time, random goons race out onto the catwalk. Weapons drawn. We got action. PDB takes on Doc Ock. Gwen and company take on the goons and are completely outgunned as we see the Scorpion is here as well. And Spidey B's outgunned too because Doc Ock is about to make quick work of the King of Swing from Forest Hills, Queens. She has him wrapped up in her L2 tentacle and asks if he has any last words before her R2 tentacle starts punching her in the face. She is hitting herself. But no! Miles Morales is on the scene unseen and he is moving. He pummels Doc Ock relentlessly while invisible before doing a web slingshot and shooting forward, materializing just in time to give Doc Ock a Sunday punch. That sends her crashing into a panel of the collider so hard it dents around her. She releases Spidey B, who falls towards the collider excited and impressed that Miles has gained command of his powers. Miles webs his chest and pulls him to the ceiling. His appearance gives the Spidey gang renewed confidence and they start to rally as PDB tells Miles he loves him and is so proud of him, which of course makes me tear up again. Imagine your hero giving you these words. I, I can't even. PDB realizes he may want kids, but has to put the thought on hold because Doc Ock is back and she is hurling collider panels. Meanwhile, Kingpin starts to see images of Vanessa and Richard through the collider, ignoring the worry in the voices of his subordinates. He tells them to turn the machine up. Back in the collider, the spiders are working as a well-oiled machine, shouting out orders, information, enemy positions. Spider-Ham pulls out a magnet from who knows where, pulling all of the baddies' guns away from them in a hilarious moment. Meanwhile, as the collider's beam intensifies, so does the destruction to the multiverse. In NYC, we have chaos. Rio is in the hospital helping a woman, talking to Jefferson on the phone at the same time. Both, of course, wanting to know where Miles is. Back in the Collider, we see all of the Spider Heroes universes being pulled to meet them as they race over buildings, floating cars, and everything else you'd imagine can't float in NYC. They are doing battle leaping from floating buildings. The world has come undone in this Collider room. The big three, that's PDB, Gwen, and Miles, Take on Ock. Spidey Noir goes toe-to-toe with Tombstone, smashing a car into the villain, calling him a hard-boiled turtle slapper before leaping away. But Penny is getting wrecked by the Scorpion, her robot being destroyed in the process before Spider-Ham saves the day, dropping an anvil on the man's head. 
Scorpion, asking if Spider-Man is some kind of cartoon, pisses the pig off, who pulls a mallet from who knows where and proceeds to beat the snot out of the Scorpion before Spidey Noir and Penny help him finish the six-legged villain off, leaving the man unconscious. Spider-Ham asks the KO villain if that felt like a cartoon. But Penny's lost the robot her dad created. Them's the breaks. Meanwhile, Gwen gets knocked unconscious. She free falls as such and is grabbed by Miles, who webs a line to PDB, who grabs it, runs up the side of a building, pulls them up away from the collider beam a moment before they hit, hurls them towards Doc Ock without releasing the line. So they are all three flying forward now towards Doc Ock. Gwen connects first with a right. Miles with a left, Spidey B with a downward scissor kick before Miles and Gwen hit her with tag team punches, a left and a right respectively to the jaw at the same time. The two land and bump fists. We get a great dap sound effect as they do and get ready for Doc Ock's next assault. But before the woman can get to them, she's hit by a one-way bus removing her from the equation. There are buses flying in this collider room. Gwen, most mission oriented, knows the job ain't done. She says they've got to end this thing right now. Miles says he's got it. When PDB says he's going because he's the one who's got the goober, he reaches up his sleeve to see it's gone. Miles waves the goober at him, giving the man his own knowledge back. <laughs> Don't watch the mouth, watch the hands. The kids learn from the best and he's ready for his reward, seizing the sword. The goober to be sure. Miles gets spidery. He snags a floating panel, backflips and goes torpedo, feet and hands at his side, Plummeting past two skyscrapers about to collide. He bursts through the other side of the buildings, glass shattering, shoots a web line, and snags one of the rotating cylinders of the collider with the tips of his fingers. Almost exactly like Spiance did earlier in the movie. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous scene. Bright oranges, pinks, heavy pastel colors surrounding him. Kirby dots everywhere. He web swings off a bus and rockets towards the roof of the collider where he inserts the goober into the panel, finally, keeping the promise he made to Spiance. Meanwhile, Penny has to say goodbye to her spider bot. She grabs her spider from inside of it and climbing onto Spidey Noir's back, she, he, and Spider-Ham make towards Petey and Gwen. Inside the control room, Kingpin is pissed and with a double overhanded strike, destroys a console, watching his plans come to ruin. Back in the collider, it's time for the spiders to go home and we enter Act three, the road back. All things in place, Miles at the helm of the controls. Penny leaves first, thanking him for both her and her spider. Spidey Noir is next. He says he loves them all and that he's taking the Rubik's Cube with him before leaping into the portal. Spider-Ham, Misty Eye, gives Miles his prize mallet, telling Miles that this hammer will fit in his pocket. But of course he can't leave without one final joke. He says, that's all folks prompting Spidey B to ask if he's allowed to say that legally. Gwen's up next. Miles shoots a shot. One last time asking if he's allowed to say he likes her hairdo now. Gwen reminds him she's older than him, that it's 15 months, but it's significant to her. Miles reminds her that Einstein said time is relative. She says, nice, that was, that was well done, kid. He extends his hand, asks friends. She shakes it and gets ghost, saying, see you around, Spider-Man. PDB's up next. He pulls his mask up and is about to say something heart to hearty, I'm sure, but both their spider senses go off. They look across the floating New York beneath them and spot the kingpin shouting on a rooftop. They are not out of the woods yet. Resurrection. PDB shouts for Miles to shut the machine down, not to wait for him and leaps immediately towards the danger. But Miles won't have it. He intercepts PDB with a web line and forces the hero onto a nearby roof. 
PDB talks sense. He says Kingpin will kill Miles, that he can't let Spider-Man die. Miles says neither can he, a point that hits PDB even harder because Miles was there when the Spidey of his universe died. PDB realizes this, but says it's okay. He does not want Miles to take this on, but Miles says it is okay. He sweeps Pete's leg and now he's giving PDB his own medicine. He says, you gotta go home, man. Now, Petey's the scared one. He asks how does he know he won't mess up again. Miles says he doesn't. Petey says, right, leap of faith, and falls backwards towards the collider beam. Before he falls through, he has some parting words. Not bad, kid. And he's gone. But Wilson Fisk is still on scene. Miles lowers his mask, shouts to the man who's waiting for him on the other side of an upended skyscraper. Spidey races towards him, but Kingpin shatters the glass of the building between them, and the two get it shaken. Kingpin pulls a gun, but has it snagged from him by a web line, as Spidey snags a passing subway train. He spots the goober and the collider's off switch, and the collider is so crazy now that the panels are now floating around the room. They are not even attached to the wall anymore. So Spidey's trying to make his way towards the collider, but is pulled by his head through a subway car window by Kingpin, who summarily beats the brakes off of him. Kingpin, about to land the killing blow, is stopped by a glitching Vanessa and Richard, who come through the subway car, both with fear on their faces, both at the Kingpin and being in a goddamn flying subway car in the middle of who knows where. And just like in Fisk's past, Vanessa and Richard run out. He and Spider-Man continue their battle. He is livid now on the outside of the train car. Meanwhile, Jefferson's just entered the scene, watching Spidey and Fisk getting it shaking from the control panel. He calls for backup. Spidey and Fisk trade blows until they're bouncing off of floating buildings. Then, a red-orange negative space with Kirby dots just bouncing around before crashing into the top of a Brooklyn bridge. Spidey is banged up and probably wants to call it quits. But you know, like I know, Spider-Man always gets back up. Doesn't matter. Kingpin is pressing his advantage. He keeps Spidey down, blocking all of the kid's blows, beating him senselessly before seemingly ending things with a hammer fist. Spidey's down, but rises to his feet when he spots his father. His father, who hates Spider-Man, now shouting for Spider-Man to get up. And he does. He rises to two wobbly feet telling Fisk he'll always have his family before asking the man if he's ever heard of the shoulder touch. When Kingpin asks what's that, Spidey places a hand on the man's shoulder, a la Uncle Aaron, and with a, hey, sends a venom blast through the man's system that sends Kingpin flying backwards, electrified through the Kirby dots. Before he can disappear into the ether, Spidey's on him. Two web lines snagging the man's body and shouting at Fist to push the green button for him. Spidey gives the man a twirl and sends him flying through the negative space, through the Kirby dots, and into the collider's goober panel. Of course there's a giant explosion as the room retakes its solid form. As Spidey looks on at the closing collider, he sees web upon web upon webs, connected blues and reds and greens, his buggy eyes wide as he takes it in, his first real glimpse of what Spidey fans know as the web of destiny that connects all the Spider-Verses together. The colliders, filled with junk and collider parts and Spider-Ham's anvil, finally shuts down, then explodes. When the dust clears, we see Jefferson putting the tombstone, the only villain seemingly to survive, into the back of a squad car before Miles finally calls Jefferson and the two have a heart to heart. Jefferson tells Miles he's going to find some private sheer wall for Miles to throw his art up on before Miles hangs up. Jefferson cursing C-Mobile. But Miles hung up so he could approach Jefferson as Spider-Man and gives the guy a hug. 
telling the man in a horrible fake deep voice, thank you, and he loves him, and to look behind him. When Jefferson does, he has to look up, where he spots the kingpin, webbed between two buildings, his arms wide, a note on his chest from your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Another great Spidey moment, because if you recall, Spider-Man of the 616 universe brought Uncle Ben's killer in alive as well. This Spider-Man has done the same. He is not a killer. He is not judge, jury, and executioner. Not even close. Return with the elixir. The movie closes with Spider-Man doing it one last time. He says his name is Miles Morales. For the last two days, he's been the one and only Spider-Man. And if the kid hasn't been busy these last two days, he finished his essay, he saved a bunch of people, he got hit by a drone. He stood on his father's shoulders and threw up a tag of his uncle Aaron on what I'm sure is a public wall. Finally, he meets his roommate Gonki officially. They bump fists and we get a BFF sound effect when they do. And slap the sticker where his dad is never going to find it. Namely, the top of a skyscraper. Jefferson doesn't have a chance. We get little cutaways showing the other spider heroes. Penny building a new suit. Spidey Noir solving the Rubik's Cube. Spider-Ham eating a hot dog. Gwen smiling at a selfie of her and Miles. And finally, PDB holding roses, ringing the doorbell of a one Mary Jane Watson's home, trying to get lucky again. As we see them, Miles says that whenever he feels alone, he has to know and remember that there are other people who share the weight of what he's going through. Before Spidey leaps from the building, he's just slapped the tag on with words meant to inspire. He says, anyone can wear the mask. You can wear the mask. If you didn't know that before, he hopes you do now because he's Spider-Man. I remember reading once the great Stan Lee saying this was one of the things he thought made Spider-Man so appealing, that because he wore a mask, most people could easily put themselves in the hero's shoes, but I think it's more than that. Symbolically, I think Miles is confirming that anyone can be a hero. Anyone can step up and do the right thing, put themselves between the people and the danger. Yeah, he's Spider-Man, but anyone can wear the mask. Anybody can do it. The movie ends with him laying on his bed, listening to Sunflower in his headphones, before Kirby dots appear above his head, and Spider-Gwen asks if he's got a minute. He smiles, the screen goes black. After the credits roll, we see setup for the next Miles Morales adventure. As meanwhile in Nueva York, Spider-Man 2099 is talking to his AI program, Ava, who tells him Miles and company saved the Spider-Verse and that she's finished the prototype wristwatch that will make interdimensional travel possible. She asks where Miguel wants to go first. The man says the beginning, one last time. Earth 67, and we get a hilarious scene of Miguel showing up to the 60s Spider-Man cartoon, specifically in the scene where Spider-Man points at Spider-Man that has become the famous meme. It's a great, great ending or beginning. And that's where we are.